You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 233. Today, we're talking about pandemic parenting into the fall with Megan Fitzgerald. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clarkfield's Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Course and Membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back. I am so glad you are here today, my friend. I'm so glad to be in your ears. Uh... Because if you're anything like me, you have been talking and wondering a lot about what is going to happen or not happen with school this fall. You know, like, will, will it be safe? What will the schedule be like? Is it halftime, full-time? Are, are people homeschooling? Like, it's so up in the air. There's so much uncertainty. Really, the only thing that is certain is that it's going to be different, right, with the pandemic. So the, when with my guest today, we talk about this. We talk about what do we do this fall? It's we're all in this together. And what may be, you know, what may be the possibilities of what is going to happen? And my guest today is Megan Fitzgerald, and she, alongside her husband, Brian, found, are the founders of Tinker Garden. And Megan previously worked as an elementary school principal and as a teacher, as well as a math and science specialist. And now she is the chief learning officer at Tinker Garden. And we talk about how to support kids best in these times and maybe even broadening our definition of what it means to to do school like what what does this mean so you know i i want you to listen for some important key takeaways and one is that the you know the outdoors is a safer place for kids to be social and to learn right now especially little ones um, how we can set up our home environments to really optimize independent play that means play without us right so we can actually get something done and how we can teach kids to manage risks even the risks of the pandemic playfully she has a really awesome tip for helping kids to stay back six feet even little ones that's really playful you're gonna love it so i'm can't wait for you to dive into this episode before we dive in, I want to let you know it's been so exciting enrolling people in the Mindful Parenting Teacher Certification Program. We had one class totally fill up, so we opened up another one, and so we have a few more spaces now, and it's been really interesting. Like, if you think that, well, what's happening is that the teacher training is going to get started on September 29th, so in the fall. And so that's allowing people who are not familiar, not already alumni of Mindful Parenting to go through the course before then. Um, but I, I want to just let you know, like if you've been, you know, hanging out, think you have plenty of time to apply, don't be so sure. The spots have been going really fast and I'm sure they will be gone far before the fall um, deadline hits. 
So if you're interested, if you want to teach mindful parenting in person in your community, maybe at your school or at your church or library or with one-on-one clients, um, or you just really want to deepen your knowledge for yourself, um, for your therapy practice, or uh, you may be a social worker, or you're just really passionate about parenting, go learn more. Check it out at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach. So that's at mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach. And we'll be letting the future teacher trainers in a little early into the membership if they aren't in already. And it's been so exciting. We have people from all around the world, from Australia to Seattle, all across the world. So it's really exciting. Um, Yeah. So if you want to learn more about that, email me or at hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com or go over to mindfulparentingcourse.com slash teach and learn more and apply. All right, so now, no further ado, my friend, please join me at the table as I talk to Megan Fitzgerald. Megan, thanks so much for coming on the Mindful Mama podcast. You're welcome. I'm so glad to be here. I'm interested to talk to you, and we're in such a, like, weird time. Uh, You know, we're facing down this crazy autumn during a pandemic and we're looking at schools and we're looking at how do we take care of our kids? How do we keep them safe? How do we keep them mentally, emotionally, and Mm -hmm. socially like not totally traumatized from this experience, right? And and everybody's worried about it. So I'm particularly interested to talk to you because you um have been a teacher, you have been mm-hmm. a you mm-hmm. are a mom, you're a leader of outdoor learning for kids. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of curious, I guess, for you, personally, how are you, how are you looking at this fall for maybe yourself and, and your own family? Because you have elementary sure. age kids in your family, right? I do. I have a brand new kindergartner who's so excited to get on that bus with her older siblings in the fall and then a rising third and rising fifth grader. So yes. And I have many hats. When I put on different hats, I think about the fall and I look at my kids and I'm so eager for them to have access to their peers and the adults that love them and inspire them and feel connected to their community in a way that school, I could just sense the loss that they felt at the end of the school year and with this odd, you know, transition into summer that didn't even feel like a transition. So I'm so eager for them to have all of that back, but I have a lot of concerns as a parent, you know, I just have uncertainty about both safety, you know, because there are, you know, we're bringing them back into a group situation and wondering about that. And it's felt much easier and more straightforward to sort of distance and be home and quarantine because that's very straightforward. I know how to deliver on safety in that kind of paradigm and then the uncertainty of what school will be. And then reading as a teacher and a principal and then thinking about as a mom, what some of the safeguards that will be in place will be like, um, it makes me a little bit concerned about their experience. And I know, and I've learned so much both uh, through my work as a teacher, but also as an outdoor educator and really looking at the whole child and thinking about how their bodies need to move 
how important it Mm. is to be outdoors, you know, and to be active that a lot of the, some of the solutions at least would have kids being in the same place and being even more sedentary than before. Mm -hmm. I worry sometimes when we focus exclusively on safety as a goal, we sometimes lose the broader holistic view of what kids need. So those are some of the worries that I have, but I don't envy, you know, what principals and teachers need to do to be able to adjust all of their systems and all of the ways that they've learned to love and care for and teach kids and have to make so many choices with such an uncertain, um, even set of expectations, you know, still waiting to hear exactly what is going to be required of them. It's, it's a hard time, I think, for everybody. I know. And it's so uncertain and it really could very much depends where you are in the country. Mm -hmm. Like it's such a patchwork. I have a, I have a client in Texas and, you know, she's a little worried. Like she's, you know, about the the teachers of her kids being out, maybe out in the bars without without masks on and, and being in, in in schools where the, uh, you know, who knows, there's probably going to be like a real, huge variety of yeah, there precautions is. that people are going to take. I mean, at, I know in at our own school, our kid, my kids go to an urban school mm-hmm. and they, you know, they, um, they're trying to, I guess they're trying to find a way right now to have half the kids come in yeah, at that's one what time. A lot of people are doing. I think that's what fall is probably going to look like for a number of communities. Ours in Amherst, Massachusetts, Western Mass, that's what is most likely to be. Um, and, and that is a way to keep kids getting that face-to-face contact with each other and with their Mm -hmm. teachers, but to keep the numbers down and to keep things manageable. And, um, you know, I think that getting used to that, well, it'll just mean a lot of adjustment for families. So, you know, how do you manage an on and off again, childcare situation and school situation? And then what do you do on the other days? And I think that will be a continuation of a lot that we've been learning with supporting families right now with, how can you set up your house for play? How can you set up really quality learning experiences that keep kids balanced, mm-hmm. right? And, and you know, use really great screen time, but also balance it off with outside time and moving time and play time and social time. And how do you, how do you provide that for your kids when 50% of the time that they would have been at school, they won't be at school. And for many of us that you have things that you need to do as well, um, you know, and most, many people can't reduce what they need to do as adults to 50% very easily either. So I think they'll, we'll, we'll continue to have to provide families with support for what that time looks like if, you know, if school is down to half time come the and, fall. I know it's crazy. And, uh, there is a, an article recently that I saw that, that the state of Florida like sent this memo out to their employees saying like, you can't t- care for your child at home while you're working. And like, well, what are people supposed to do? What are my do? choices? Right. What I are think we that, supposed yeah. to do? It's, it's really nuts. Yeah. Um, and on the flip side, you think about teachers. So if teachers oh need to gosh. come back full time and their kids are only in school half time, how do they do that? Right. So I think oh at, that we haven't even really started to talk about. I think teachers associations, at least Massachusetts, California, have been really vocal in the last few weeks about, you know, not only are we putting ourselves at risk by going into a situation if we're not sure it's going to be safe, but we also have our own, you know, how do we manage all of that? So I think a lot of us will be trying to figure out how broadening our definition of what it means to educate and care for our children um, from from schooling to a combination of school and then ways of learning and working with them at home that, that provide them with support, but also allow for 
adults and, and all of us to continue to move on with what we need to do. And we've been learning a lot about that Tinker Garden and some of the free programming that we've been providing. This summer, we have a camp program. Every week, we give a thematic set of activities for different age levels that people can do setting up simple centers for play in their house and then giving kids prompts and, and design to help them become more independent in their play. These kids independently playing is pretty much essential for both kids and for adults right now where we don't have camps, we don't have school, you know, and, and life continues to march on. So I think we'll just need a lot more of that kind of programming and, and training for parents and support. And you mentioned, um, so of course, you know, and, and that's amazing that the ability, you know, parents can't think of everything and to sort of have these sort of like prompts and um, ideas given to them is such an amazing service. And you, you mentioned Tinker Garden, which is your, mm-hmm. you, I, I want you to, of course, um, sure. explain what it is, but um, we also, right be, before we dive into that, we also talked about this idea of, of we're facing the fall and you teach parents how to to teach their kids out, outside and this idea of outdoors as a solution to possibly you know taking some curriculum outdoors can be a solution to some Absolutely. of the some of the challenges how 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 could you envision that working yeah well if i think if i put again my school leader hat back on um, not every school, but lots of schools have outdoor space in addition to indoor space. And we know that the outdoors is just safer right now. Mm-hmm. It's safer for virus transmission. It is a safer place. It's easier to get the distance that you need. It's also always been, even before you were in a COVID context, it's better for kids. It's healthier um, they, to be in the fresh air, to be able to move, to have the stimulation of the outdoor environment with its calming effects at the same time, make it a superb classroom, no matter what you're trying to teach. So for all learners, it would be a boost for them to be outside, even if we didn't have a pandemic that we were managing. And what it would do is it would allow schools to sort of double the space that they can make create for learning. So more kids could come to school, maintain distance and learn, plus get the benefits of being outdoors. And at least, you know, if you think about the Northeast, that would become more challenging when the winter months come on, but you could have marvelous learning experiences under tents or yurts or we could get creative. You know, you could be outside nearly every day taking the learning that you're doing and bringing it outside. And I I truly believe we'd see outsized benefits, not just the fact that we could bring more kids back or feel comfort that kids are learning together with a lower risk than when they're in the indoor environments where the risk is just so much higher. I imagine there's going to be a bunch of parents who just won't, don't want to send their kids back to school and there's going to be a big boost in people doing homeschooling. Have you heard people? Absolutely. About that? I mean, I'm hearing it on a local level. I'm hearing it in our community. We have a very large, uh, we have a couple thousand teachers who uh, teach for Tinker Garden around the country and are in all 50 states. And then they have their communities. So a lot of dialogue around that among our community, but also we have a Facebook group that's now over 10,000 people. We launched uh, when COVID started um, called Outdoors All Four, people sharing ideas and and support for each other. And there's there's discussion about that too, just people uncertainty. Um, and so I think people who have that ability to make that choice may make that choice. I think there will be many children for whom it's, you know, it is a privilege to be able to make that oh, choice. Yeah, um, sure, but I yeah. think there will be families who have that flexibility who might make choice. I've also um, already been asked by a couple of different people to participate in co-op 
mm-hmm. homeschool. So being able to take turns and share. And I think people are approaching the summer that way with camps, co-op camps or pod camps, as they're mm-hmm. called, kind of joining a group of families together, kind of sharing the risk of being now part of a broader bubble and bringing in a teacher to teach the kids or lead camp. And I think that's a model that could really help maybe either during that half time when you're not in school or if school just feels like it's either going to be unsafe or, or not as not as productive and supportive of kids that families could easily decide was a better option. You know, it's interesting. I, my kids personally are dying to go back to school. They have a wonderful yeah. school. Uh, they Their school is urban. They actually don't have very much outdoor space. They have a kind of a parking lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, but with my own kids, um, they've, they, when they were little, we spent a lot of time outside. We live, our house is kind of like in this little quarter acre property that's like in the middle of like a forest. I must have like 40 trees on oh. a quarter acre. And they, we have across the street from us, a little path into the woods. And we've spent, we spent a lot of time kind of doing if only Tinker Garden had existed when my kids were little, but like doing kind of what you've formalized, like getting together with friends, with our kids yeah. and getting them together and, and being in, um, in nature, spending a lot of time in nature as much as we can. And and now my daughter who's 13 is, um, her one camp experience that she's experiencing this summer is she was very excited last fall to join the Scouts BSA, which is the, oh, yeah. Boy Scouts. Yeah, uh, that's great. We have the same here. Yeah, yeah she's in a, a girls troop in her. the Boy yeah. Scouts. And that she, her troop and another troop are going to have a camp out. And it's like, that's it's, it's kind of like the alternative to the big scout camp is just these two troops. And we're, you know, for us, the rewards outweigh weigh the risks for yeah, her absolutely. to be able to go to that and, and have that whole experience. So I guess I'm what I want to point out with this sharing of this is that this, that outdoor time is, has been so invaluable um, for my family and my children, just kind of seeing her, that continued love. I've, she Mm -hmm. she and I have gone backpacking together and, um, and, you know, kind of seeing this love of nature uh, going forward. So I think that I just wanted to offer that as uh, a segue for you to, to introduce what is this sure. garden thing? Cause I know some people, I know that dear listener, if you have a child between 18 months and eight years old, that you're going to be <laughs> psyched if you are a nature lover, as you hear about what this thing is. Well, thank you. Yeah. So Tinker Garden um, started very much as a personal project for my husband, who is my co-founder and I, um, right before we became parents, actually. And then it became really urgent once we became parents. So I'm, as we've talked about, is that I'm an educator by trade and he's a technologist. But thinking about our own childhoods and the role that time outside played, and he is a Boy Scout, and he is a Girl Scout, and just trying to figure out what Scouts, you know, where, what, is, what is here for families right now to help us connect to play and nature. So those two things are so formative for kids as they're developing the opportunity to play and to learn through play. And then the setting that's really the healthiest, best to do that. Um, and to really captivate wonder is, is, is the natural setting and outdoors. And it doesn't have to be, um, you know, a huge forest for little kids. Our definition of nature at Tinker Garden is 
earth, sky, and other species. So even that, even that parking lot that your kids have <laughs> can be a natural wonderland of children. And so what Tinker Garden is, is really we've become family's guides to taking outdoor time and turning it into ideal early learning time. So we work with kids, as you said, 18 months to eight years old, and we provide uh, programming that helps parents know how to use time outside or, or learn how to use time or just not have to think about the ideas <laughs> as we're all so busy to turn your family time outside into learning for kids. So that takes two forms. One is in-person classes. Like I said, we have about 2,000 amazing teachers who um, run Tinker Garden classes every season in their local parks. Uh, we are just about to carefully bring back some of those in places that are ready for group activities in August, but we've been quiet since we've all been carefully distancing, but that's a beloved program. And it's just, you know, once a week during each season of the year, coming together to learn together in a park through play. And we also have direct to parent uh, do-it-yourself programs. So right now we are running a camp program, Camp Tinker Garden. Um, and that uh, gives a different set of activities each week. And there are four versions, babies, toddlers, preschoolers, and school-age kids, helps you to set up independent play for kids each day so that if you don't have a camp or you don't have solutions in the summer, you can fill your child's summer uh, with independent outdoor play. Mm. And so what are some of the what are some of the, you know, I'm, I'm really curious about mm -hmm. your curriculum because you talk yes. about how these things kind of build on each other. So what are, what are, what does some of the curriculum look like? Sure. And this summer camp is actually a good sampler. So we mm -hmm. took, we have eight skills that we target for kids in Tinker Garden and each season focuses on a different skill. Um, and families, you know, continue through and, you know, two years later, you come at the same skill in a different way. Um, but each week of camp is focusing on a different skill. So this week is focusing on focus, actually, and executive function, the ability to really, you know, have self-control and stay focused on task and how that develops from infancy through school age. Um, each age level, we're suggesting different play activities that support kids and very naturally building that sort of focus muscle and being able to, to develop the skills you need to stay and attend to um, things that are interesting to you or to tasks that you're involved in. So we've used what we call tiny friends at Tinker Garden, which is our uh, longstanding name for bugs and insects and <laughs> creepy crawly small things. Um, so it's also a lesson in empathy as we learn to discover, love, and care for and observe tiny friends. So um, we'll, we have a whole downloadable PDF, and it's a free program, Camp Tinker Garden, so anyone can sign up for it. And we'll deliver to your inbox a week's worth of activities for each age group. Um, having exploring bugs and tiny friends and from creating them with, with Play-Doh and nature treasures to finding them and making hotels for them or moving like them and singing like them and read alouds that support all of this. So it's really trying to help parents like me <laughs> and like, you know, trying to figure out how can I make these days really enriching for them um, in a way that's also supportive of of how much I have on my plate right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're, it, I love that it really does support independent play. And it's not like there's right answers and wrong answers. And, and this is really what kids need are like, it's, it sounds like it's like a prompt to, to just mm -hmm. help people, help kids own imagination and creativity yes. really go with it. Yes. And creativity is our, is our skill that we're actually going to be focusing on this season as we reopen that's one of our skills. Another is persistence and grit. 
being able to stick with things and how do you learn to set up play environments for your child that very naturally and in an age appropriate way help them build that skill for the long haul. So um, yeah, that's exactly how we approach it. We have invitations that you can give to your child, uh, ways of playing that really allow them to answer that and drive their own play, but set up an environment that really supports the learning of a specific skill. Mm. So when you think about the environment, what what kind of environment are you kind of yeah. envisioning for parents or what are you suggesting for how parents can shape or alter their environment and what can they focus on to make it more enriching and creative and playful. Absolutely. Actually, we're about to launch and it'll be about two weeks when it's ready, um, something we're calling independent play training. So we have sleep training, we have potty training and you know entire sections of the bookstore dedicated to this, but there isn't really a sense of independent play training for kids and families. But we've really learned a lot working with, we've had about 250,000 families participate in Tinker Garden since it started. So we've learned a lot about how to support the adults at not only this one hour and 15 minutes when we're facilitating things in class, but how do you bring that home and really make this work at home? So we're very excited for this. But um, when we think about environment, we think about two things. We think about the literal environment of where you're playing, but we also think about the, um, the materials that you choose to give to kids and whatever question you ask or story you read or narrative that you give is also part of that environment. So when you set those three things up together, you really give an invitation that kids can't refuse. And you also, if you do it in the right way, set it up so kids know it's theirs to run with and they're not looking to you to do or to lead. You can be a supporter, you can be a guide. Um, but you're actually giving it to them to run with. And that's when we see play stick and last and kids get into those states of flow that you know you've seen it, but you're not sure how, how it happened. And you know not to say anything or get involved. But, you know, those are the things we would love for families to be able to do every day, right? Every day to be able to, to do that. And the first lesson of independent play training is to set up play centers. Mm-hmm. And so play people know what those are, but what are play centers? They're very simple collections of things that you can put in a spot and keep there that are designed around a certain kind of play. So a simple one is a mud kitchen that we're just seeing all over the country. So if you go to mm-hmm. our Outdoors All Four Facebook group, which is also free, um, you'll see hundreds of mud kitchens around the country and they don't all look Pinterest perfect. That's lesson number one. They don't have to. Mine is some, you know, we just took our old recycling bins, turned them over, took an old board and put a bowl on top. So it's a counter, it's a sink. And then we just rummage through kitchen. We've gone to, you know, old garage sales and things. I'll grab any muffin tin I can find an old spoon. And it's just, and then you have sticks and dirt and everything else that's out there. And with a little water, you can cook for hours and days. And then, so then with Tinker Garden, Camp Tinker Garden, I have a new set of prompts each week for how kids might use their mud kitchen with a new and exciting twist. But that mud kitchen's there and they know to go back to it. Mm. And it's sort of very, it's all very much theirs to play with their way. Um, And it's a space that's just for them. So that's one example of how just with the things we already have at home, Mm -hmm. you can change your environment in a way that invites lasting play that doesn't require your constant involvement and prompting. I'd say definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. 
I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com This reminds me of when my girls were little. We did a lot of simplifying. I was, mm-hmm. uh, I did a lot of, um, I, I led some book clubs reading, uh, simplicity parenting I was very inspired by that. We did a lot of simplifying and we, and also my, uh, I'm a founding board member of a Montessori school here in, yeah. in the Delaware, um, first public charter Montessori school actually. Yes. And, um, and so I've been very involved in Montessori and I love Montessori and just the, the idea of that simplicity of the environment. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, we, I wish I had taken more pictures, but anyway, you know, we would, we had two shelves for them where like there were toys, like one, three toys on a shelf spaced out. And then Absolutely. there was the uh, basket of scarves and the, the blocks basket and, there, you know, there wasn't a whole lot else. There was always the, you could always do art and drawing and things like that. But it, it was, I was always in the beginning, I was so surprised at how this environment of less, but more curated just invited so much more play. And it's, it's really, if, you know, dear listener, if you have like tons of toys out there and you're not crazy about it, if you have toys that are driving, making noises that drive you bananas, I give you permission to like chuck it or at least put it in a toy purgatory. (laughs) That's what I call it. But, um, but it really does like 
that making the environment appealing aesthetically and more simple actually creates more, more invitation for play. Absolutely. So there, I mean, just two years ago, some really great research came out that the fewer the toys, the more creative and long, longer lasting the play in a play setting. And then the more simple the toy itself so a simpler toy allows for many more uses than a toy that is either purpose-built or very specific in its use um, or highly developed in what it tells your imagination it's supposed to be, which is partly why I love the outdoors because you have all of these simple but you know varied objects like sticks and rocks and dirt and logs and so leaves of all different shapes and colors and sizes and um, but even in your in your home, like you're saying, to limit literally to limit the number of toys is to increase the creative potential for play in that space. And I, what I love about Montessori as well is that everything is within kids' reach. Those two mm-hmm. shelves you had were, were designed for their access, right? And so kids know that. And part of creating these play centers is is playing off that same idea that this is all within your reach. And I am saying to you and giving you permission to use all of these objects just mm-hmm. like a four-year-old. Mm-hmm. You know, I will clean, I might clean them up at the end of the day because it drives me a little crazy, but it's not <laughs> meant to look like, you know, and, and, and for this mud kitchen to become a pirate ship by the end of the day is a wonderful thing. So also to follow children's lead with where they want to take the play in those places. Um, and those, that's what's wonderful about a simple setting is there's, is, it's much less limited the possibilities that you have as a child. Do you, um, do you, do you know any of the research on like unstructured, imaginative play for kids? Cause it's incredibly important for kids. It isn't is incredibly it? important. And there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of play, which has been exciting. There's a lot of play research that came out just last year. Um, I was at the Lego, Lego has an idea conference every year in Billund, Denmark, where they bring together experts and practitioners and play from all around the world. And unfortunately this year, um, it, it had to be, had to be uh, canceled. But two, two years ago, one um, of several of the people that did a lot of research on the play spectrum, and it's published by the Lego Foundation, their research, it's wonderful, helps us to see it on a spectrum, see games, see more organized play, even see sports on a spectrum, but needing the balance of unstructured independent time um, and guided play from parent in the middle, also really important. Having those moments where you set up, you can... You can leapfrog ideas and feed kids interests and support their play in moments, but kids really do need a good bit of time to play on their own, to pursue their interests, to problem solve, and to, to iterate you know, on their ideas. That All that magic happens when there isn't the structure of, of an activity or the boundaries um, of expectations you know, for kids. Yeah. And I think that's so, so true, especially in those early childhood and elementary mm-hmm. years. And, and now I'm seeing kind of the reverse now that my kids are 10 and 13, they want mm-hmm. them. They kind of need some of those boundaries and structure a little bit more. I wish they would play with uh, tiny friends, make tiny friends houses, but they're not into that anymore, sadly. Yeah. Well, I started out as a middle school teacher. And I think what was interesting for me is that they will show their playfulness when they go to learn something new. Mm. I think if you give a lot of that time to play with your really hands-on play with objects, play when, and that in these early years when it, when it's so important, that's how your brain is, is wiring itself later on. When you get to play with ideas, Mm. you're much more ready to take risks and be playful when you're trying to, I was a math teacher. So, you know, the kids who really felt 
flexible to think and play and try things, you know, um, those were that you can see it come out then as they're trying to learn new things when they've had that base for really uh, being playful, then being able to think playfully later. I think there's, there's a lot of exciting connections there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So, um, so talk to us a little bit about outdoors. Yes. There, I know that, I mean, me, I'm personally an outdoors lover, but mm-hmm. I know that a lot of parents and maybe, you know, the listener, you may be worried about other things like ticks and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mean, my, actually my father has Lyme disease, so I, I yeah. really know firsthand the, the challenges of it. Um, but, you know, Tell us about how, why outdoors is so important for little kids. And, and then I'd mm-hmm. love to hear about, about the outdoor curriculum that you do too. Sure, sure. Um, so outdoors are important really across every domain of development for little kids. Um, but they're also equally important for us. And I only say that at the beginning because yes. we <laughs> sometimes forget that. So it, especially where there's a self-care component to spending time outdoors with your kids, you're sort of as we say at Tinker Garden, feeding two birds with one scone rather than, <laughs> yeah, um, is that you're able to be, to getting the, some of the same benefits. So there's a lot of mental health and calming and lowering of anxiety right now. Our children are really feeling a lot of the anxiety that we're feeling and that the broader world is bringing upon us and this situation. So I think that time spent outside lowering that anxiety, um, the fresh air, the physical activity that just is inherent and the physical challenges that come with being outside that for a young learner are just built in. So the, you know, the, the terrain is uneven, the objects are readily available, they have really wonderful sensory um, qualities. So your smells, your even your tastes, your feels, your, um, your sights are so both exciting and ever-changing, but also inherently calming. So we are calmed by outdoor settings. There's research that even just seeing a picture of a natural setting will help both attention and anxiety um, to be, to attention to be focused and anxiety be reduced. And that even carries over into learning settings. So people have performed better on learning tasks just from being near a window or being able to see natural settings, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. But there is this sense that then for me as a teacher, when I used to teach in a school setting and I would take my students outside, it really leveled the playing field for my Mm -hmm. students. And I taught anywhere from fourth to eighth grade. Um, And then I was an elementary school principal and watched it with classrooms that I would observe. And I'm a real advocate for that because that it's, it's, both stimulating and wakes you up, but it also calms you down. And if you've spent time in a classroom or if you've been a teacher, I would have done anything to give that combination to many of my students to be able mm. to calm their bodies and to, um, and to wake them up <laughs> at the same time, like get them excited and engaged, but also um, really being able to, I think a lot of that has to come down with the sensory system. Yeah. And our sensory systems are so oriented now around sight especially in a screen world where we're just looking and looking and looking and hearing a little bit, but really looking and not having the physical experience of the other senses beyond even the five that we think about being able to move our inner ear and have our, and have our big muscles and joints get the feedback they need. Those are those two different senses just described there really help our brains to focus and help us integrate sensory information. So even what we're learning 
while we're on screen isn't as, isn't coming in the same way because we haven't moved and we mm -hmm. haven't, you know, given our bodies the feedback, but you go outside, you have to, you know, move your body, you, you naturally get stimulated, the kind of activities you do. So there's so many reasons to take kids outside and right now it's healthier, it's safer. And I think that's a really big reason to be outside as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I love it. I wish, uh, I remember reading about when my daughters were little, they were starting to do the, um, in, in Germany and a couple other places, yeah. sort of the completely outdoor mm -hmm. kindergartens for kids where they, yeah. and th this is definitely a very privileged kind of thing because you would have to buy, actually I actually had a friend who did it and had to buy like intensive mm -hmm. outdoor gear for her child to be outside in Maine in the winter to mm -hmm. do this kind of outdoor school. But it's just a, such an interesting idea. And it makes so much sense because, you know, we uh, evolved, uh, you know, Absolutely. for every, you know, almost every moment of human existence has been spent outside until very, very recently. Very, very so recently. And this is the indoor nation. I think it's in the 90% of our time are spent indoors. So I think we're feeling that impact. But, but all you have to do is take a child outside see and the reset and and you know you know you know the impact and you can feel it yourself so that's that's why i i feel like it's so exciting to think about helping families bridge whatever the barrier is because sometimes it's gear and sometimes it's access to safe spaces and sometimes it's just knowing what to do and and knowing how to spend that time um and mm -hmm. and feeling competent in that space and teachers too you know i think um once teachers, we work with teachers as well. Once they get outside and they see that it's doable and they kind of feel like how to do it, it's very self-reinforcing because children respond in overwhelmingly positively to going outside. It's just a matter of helping, um, helping families kind of feel like they can, they have the community, they have the support, they have the ideas, they have the stuff um, and they can do it. But you, you asked a good question about ticks too. And I think mm. it's not, right now there are, there are dangers, there are like ticks in many parts of the country. Um, and, and similar, there's the danger of, of being afraid of, of, you know, distancing and how do mm. you do that and with little kids. And I think I just wrote a blog post about parenting for the real versus parenting for the ideal. Mm. And ticks are not ideal. They're frightening and they're real and we have to be very careful about them. Um, and I also have Lyme disease in my family that's been really, uh, really scary. Um, and they're a serious threat. And so is the COVID, you know, it's a, it's frightening and it's real and it's upon us, but I think kids are very able to, um, be able to adapt and able to learn, um, and able to, if we can frame things for them in a way that honors them, their age and what they can understand and doesn't use fear, but uses, you know, there's, there's something that we have to manage. Here's a risk and we're going to, here's mm -hmm. how we're going to do it. And we can teach them from a very early age rather than to avoid the threat, as long as it is a manageable risk that they have it, they, that we have the capacity to manage risks and that's part of the world. And I think our kids are going to need that more than ever because they're, the rules are just going to keep changing for them. So, you know, thinking about ticks, what we do in our families, we have a contest. So we have a board where the person who finds the most ticks on other people wins. Mm -hmm. So in the evening, we help support each other with tick checks. And so it takes a scary situation and it makes people motivated to learn how to do tick checks well. 
And then when we find a tick, even though that could be terrifying and scary, we know what it looks like. And we have a moment of sort of celebration that we're working toward this goal. But the goal is really to make sure that we're keeping safe. And we also, you know, we also dress so we make sure that we can see ticks when we're going into areas where we know are tick heavy. So I want my kids to be armed with understanding and knowledge and not fear, but this sense of, okay, this is how I handle a situation that is not ideal, you know, and I think COVID is very similar rather than scaring kids saying we want to keep our friends safe. So give them a really good reason and give them some really fun ways to remind them to be you know, to give, keep that six foot bubble as best they can. And at Tinker Garden, we learned to play like lobsters. Play because like lobsters? lobsters. <laughs> we play like lobsters and we put our claws up because lobsters are one of the only animals that moves really fast backwards. And that's what they're great at. So they're great <laughs> at zooming backwards. There's a great Wild Kratz episode all about it. And I was watching that with my kids and thinking, we, this is perfect for social distancing because it's a little reminder to do a lobster walk take a few steps back and it's not shaming and it's not, Oh no, you're too close. Ah, you know, the, the part of your parent brain that wants to mm. make sure kids are doing the right thing. It's a little fun reminder and we practice it all the time. And you know, my kids will even be like, Oh yeah. And all I have to do now is show my claws and I don't have to say anything. And they're like, right, 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 right. I'll move back a little bit. So we use that in our classes and we'll be using that as we come back, you know, to help when kids are getting a little closer than they should be, but still able to play together. So I think it's really how you approach it mm. and how you think about this moment is rather than keeping kids precious necessarily and, and preserving what would be ideal, but rather preparing them for what's real and what's happening um, mm. as best you can. I really like that. Preparing, preparing them for what's real. I mean, because yeah, the truth is, you know, there's, there's risks both ways. If we're, our kids are not socializing with any other kids for, you know, four Absolutely. months, six months, eight oh. months, a year, like if that is just keeps going and going and going, that has some real emotional, uh, mental, physical risks. Uh, yeah. And if we can teach them how to be real about it and manage that risk, I love the, the lobster thing. I'm going to have to yeah, we have a little video. I'll, I'll email it to you, but it's a really fun video just to help families even see. And you can see how much fun it is to do that. It's a joyful moment. And, mm. and it's a really lovely thing to keep care for others. I mean, this moment of, I think it's very hard for people to wrap their head around telling a little person not to go hug, you know, another friend. And that is very difficult. It's not, it's not how they're wired, but in this particular context, if you can help support them with this idea of a bubble and loving each other and kind of getting space and playing like lobsters and giving them ways to do that, kids can learn. They need reminders because they don't have the impulse control that we have, but you remind them enough, they've got fantastic muscle memory and they love to play. So if you make it playful and you give them a really loving reason and reinforce that and, and they really can respond. And then you've got, you still have some risk you're taking on, but the risk of the loss of time outside and time with friends is certain. Like they are going to suffer that. So if you can manage the other risk, you can, it seems like a much better, much better thing for kids in the end. And I think a lot of pediatricians are saying the same thing, mm -hmm. that be outside, wear masks if you can, and your kids can. And I know that's, you know, different people have really different feelings about that. And then again, you can, it's really on how you approach it and give kids time and practice and, we have a whole blog post about how to make friends with masks. Some, many families, that's a necessary piece mm -hmm. of their 
how to navigate the world right now. So if you're in that situation, there's lots of ways to support kids. But if that's a reality, then, you know, how do you do that? And how do you do that in a way that's really loving and kid friendly? And so anyway, lots of, lots of these less than ideal things, but real opportunities to help kids be resilient and to grow and then to be able to apply this learning down the road when they hit obstacles that they will inevitably hit in yeah. life. Yeah. You're basically teaching them everything is figure outable to steal the phrase from Marie Forleo. I love that phrase. Like everything is figure outable. We can do this. We don't have mm-hmm. to be driven mm-hmm. by fear. We can figure mm-hmm. out how to manage this risk. You also talk about, um, you talk to us a little bit about how we can practice social distancing at home. Yeah, we're having so much fun with that. So I think the whole concept of a bubble is also just a one to help little children understand. And actually, teachers and preschool teachers have been working on this forever. Our personal space bubbles is a phrase that you know echoes around lots of group settings. Um, but that space bubble tends to be somewhere around two feet to four feet, right? So we have to make that a little bit bigger than usual. Um, so you can blow bubbles with kids and talk about space bubbles, and you can kind of you know, put your arms out and kind of feel your bubbles. So just helping kids to envision what that means and looks like is one thing that's helpful. We also very early on just tried to figure out how to help my youngest. She's like, what's six feet anyway? You know, it's like a great question. You know, I, I have it ahead in my head. I was like, well, it's dad basically, you know, because Brian's 5'11". So we had Brian lie down on the floor and we like marked off a dad's worth and we had him and it was kind of fun to have him there. So we decided, well, what are all the games we could play with dad in the middle, you know? And so it was kind of funny because we would, you know, play charades and then we would play games back and forth that, and he was just lying in the middle, but it helped her to imagine a dad's worth of space when she was in a new situation or we take in Tinker Garden class, we don't have dads that, you know, have to lie down, but we have (laughs) six feet of string and little bits of colorful tape on either end. And that's one of the first things we'll play with in the classes that come back is our six foot strings. And we can, you know, as in family units, kind of stretch them out, go high, go low, make them look like waves and just kind of move around and get a sense of what that amount of space is. Um, Mm Because I think for kids, estimating that isn't as easy as actually starting to have a lot of experience with it and feel it. Um, So those are, there's a lot of fun ways to do that. And then, then try and do that out. So not just at home, but do that out and see how you're doing. And I think Tools like the lobster walk and tools like remember our bubbles, just give a little more of a bubble to our friends and just being able to know that you're going to re- need to remind kids. Like they're absolutely going to need those gentle, loving reminders, but that's part of the teaching, mm-hmm. um, not part of their failure. It's just part of the process. Mm-hmm. So picking short play dates, picking safe other families that you can sort of air a little bit with, you know. <laughs> knowing that you're in situations where your kids and you will have this space for those reminders to be built in, I think are also a helpful staging, you know? So now I feel like my kids can go places and I feel very comfortable with them, you know, knowing, but it took, it took those, it took a lot of practicing at home, practicing with just another family for a little while that was also like-minded about knowing kids might not be perfect at this and then kind of managing our risk outward. And, and I feel like it, it, that kind of approach is really helpful for both the parents and the kids. 
This is so helpful, Megan. I, I really oh, appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that we've divined the future and like figured out, yeah. answered everybody's questions about what exactly will happen in the fall. I mean, because we don't know. We and don't know. <laughs> nobody yeah. knows, unfortunately. Um, it really is a very uncertain time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that this um, approach and attitude that you offer, which is about playfulness, about mm-hmm. capability, about Absolutely. we can figure it out is really the approach that we need to take this fall. Like we're all going to have challenges. I mean, mm-hmm. some of us more than others, depending on our situation, we're going to be working our kids, who knows what they're going to be doing at school, but we can take this attitude of yeah. I, everything is figure outable. We can learn, mm-hmm. we can adapt and, and let's all just at least for goodness sake, go out in nature as much as we can. As much as we, that's the one thing we do know. I'm like cling to the great outdoors with all you've got. And, um, and we need other humans. So whatever feels comfortable for you. And I think another piece of this is that we have to really work hard and it's hard with where our world is right now and where some of the dialogue is and that we have in the discourse in our broader culture, but we have to reserve judgment for people because you also need the space to do your very best, whatever that is, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think that is something that, um, is hard to do um, <laughs> in this time because people feel very strongly, but everybody's parenting, everybody's situation, every what they're carrying is unique. So I think remember that outdoors is such a gift to you and your kids that togetherness and whatever that can look like for you is also needed. And, and then lean into that with remembering that, you know, we're teaching kids how to respond to the world around them for the long haul you know, and it's okay that it's not so ideal. It actually might benefit them in the long run that, that they've persisted uh, with your love and support and right there guidance, um, that, that that's in and of itself a gift that we weren't necessarily asking for, this truckload of lemons on our doorstep, but there's some lemonade to make in all of this. And, um, and I think that we really, we really can do that if we take that approach. Absolutely. Our, our challenges are always our, our greatest teachers. Mm-hmm. Well, Megan, where can people learn more about you and learn more about Tinker Garden? Super. Yeah. So you can come to tinkergarden.com um, and you'll, you can learn about the classes that we teach in local places and you can find your way to our blog, which is blog.tinkergarden.com. Also, if you want to participate in our free camp program, we're just in week three and you can you know, come and join anytime. It goes through the end of, through middle August and that's at tinkergarden.com slash camp. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for turning what's clearly a passion for you into something that everyone can benefit from and that people are really passionate and excited about that's really helping families. I feel excited about that personally, you know, as somebody who does work that is my own passion and to see other businesses and people Mm -hmm. doing work that benefits kids and families. And it's, I, um, I really, you know, I send you sort of a, a a distance high five for all of that. (laughs) High five right back to you. And thank you for this forum. I mean, this is such a lovely way for, I've listened to so many of your recent podcasts and just helping people to navigate so many of the things that are going on right now. Um, is such a gift. So I'm just, I'm thrilled to meet you and to be part of it. This is great. Thank you so much for listening. I love her advice for the lobster. 
Oh my goodness, be like a lobster is the cutest advice I ever have ever heard. So playful. It's a, just such a great reminder. And you know, sometimes we can't, it's hard for us to think outside the box because of stress and all the things going on. So it's so great to have those resources. So I hope those resources are helpful for you. Please share this episode with friends if you found this helpful and, um, and you know, spread the word. Word of mouth is the best way for the Mindful Mama podcast to grow. Um, yeah. And if you are like frustrated with the stuff with the fall and want support, you want to talk about it. The Mindful Mama Facebook group is a really great supportive place. I am continually impressed with how awesome this community is and how supportive it is. It's such a really wonderful place. So um, you can learn more about that at mindfulmamamentor.com under resources. And just a quick reminder that we still have some spots in the Mindful Parenting Teacher Training Program. It is starting up in the fall, but it is filling up now. We actually had to open up a second class. There are people from around the world who are going to be taking Mindful Parenting to their local communities. It's so exciting for me. Uh, so if you want to learn more about that, that's at mindfulparentingcourse.com teach. And I'm wishing you a peaceful week, my friend. I'm wishing you, you know, this is like a time of such intense uncertainty. And I think it really just shows us how uncertain our lives are all the time, right? And what can we do about it? You know, we want to try to control every little thing. We often react by trying to control our kids. But I think that the why one of the wisest things we can do is to relax our bodies, relax our minds, soften into the difficulty and become more present. You know, as we look around, as you look around you right now, um, as I look around me right now, I can see I'm safe right now. My children are safe right now. Um, there's beauty in my life right now. And there are things right in this moment that I can appreciate. I'm looking as I record at this incredibly beautiful framed artwork that my daughter did in school a long time ago of a horse painted so beautifully and so with so much life and exuberance. Anyway, there's all kinds of things like that in your environment right now. Imagine wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can see, look around you, open your eyes right now and find something to appreciate. So I'm inviting you to practice to stay in the moment. Um, don't let your fears guide you. Uh, re, you know, say hello, fears. I see you there, and redirect your attention to the present moment. Soften and relax your body and mind, and you'll be more able to handle all the changes and difficulties with a relaxed, less reactive mind. Um, I'll be practicing this too. I'm wishing you peace. I'm wishing you joy this week. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Namaste.